was past the boundary line. And so this young uh, guy, he gets a hold of the PA system and he said, Boat 51, you are out too far. Please come in closer. No response. A few seconds later, he repeated, Boat 51, you are too far. Please come in closer. Nothing. Just then, his supervisor came running over to him and said, Son, we, don't have tw- we only have 25 boats. There is no Boat 51. They both looked out at the far-off boat, and the young guy took the microphone, and he said, Boat 15, are you in trouble out there? <laughs> if you're like me, and you're looking around at the world around us, and everything kind of looks upside down, doesn't it? If someone were to have slipped into a coma on New Year's Day 2020 and woke up today, they would not be able to believe where we find ourselves in such a short period of time. We've seen one of the most robust economies in recent years suspended due to a quarantine, and maybe you wonder to yourself, what's going to happen if people have have to stop working again and students are unable to return to school or get sent home again? We've seen racism rearing its ugly head and causing all kinds of social unrest, including rioting. And maybe you've wondered if there will ever be peace and fairness. Now, (laughs) there's a Saharan dust storm headed toward the southwest, southeast, I actually have southwest in my notes, (laughs) southeast United States all the way from Africa. I heard a newscaster say, what's next, a plague of locusts? He went on talking about something else, and then when it was time for his co-anchor to speak, she said, scientists are predicting that a swarm of locusts will be coming soon. And he goes, well, there you go. (laughs) 2020, my goodness, we find ourselves in upside-down situations. In Acts 17, Paul and his missionary team arrived in Thessalonica as part of their second missionary journey. And they are accused of turning the world upside down. We Christians would argue that it was upside down in a good way because they were sharing the simple truth. And I say simple. The gospel is simple. You have to work at making it complicated. They were sharing the simple truth about Jesus, and it was upsetting the religious leaders who should have not only recognized that Jesus was who he is, but they should have been watching for him to arrive with great expectation. Instead, they were jealous, they were unaware And they did not recognize the proverbial forest for the trees. Jesus was unto them a stumbling block right from their before their very eyes. One of their own, who was raised up in every way as the the prophecies had predicted he would be, and they totally missed it. And they accused them of turning of the missionaries of turning the world upside down. Here's my bottom line for today. I may repeat it because it's a little complex, but if the simple truth about Jesus can turn a world upside down, then today the simple truth about Jesus can turn an already upside down world right side up. If the simple truth about Jesus could turn the world upside down here in Acts 17, then the simple truth about Jesus today can turn an already upside down world right side up, and he's going to do that through you and through me, his church. 
Uh, he has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the Great Commission. He has given us a calling. We have his Holy Spirit-inspired word, and you and I have the words of eternal life and the words of hope. The power is in the gospel itself that leads unto salvation and can lead us out of all of this upside-downedness into right-side-uppedness. <laughs> Simple truth about Jesus. First of all, let's notice the way in which it was presented, and let's notice the effect that the simple truth about Jesus, about who he is and why he came, and his purpose, and where he is now, and and where we need to be, what it can do. The simple truth about Jesus. First of all, it was patiently explained. The truth about Jesus was patiently explained. Look at the first three verses with me, if you don't mind. They're in Acts chapter 17. It says, Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, Apollonia, there I got it right, Apollonia, they came in, uh, to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, the missionaries' key strategies were to go to the largest cities. And so they went to the largest cities. They went to Amphipolis, and they went to Apollonia, where such cities were on the way to Thessalonica and to go to their synagogues to reason with the people who already believed in God and were looking for the coming of the Messiah. This is the prime audience. This is the place to go. This is where the people are. And these are the people that are, are looking for truth. And Paul's testimony would have been very effective to them. Why? Because he was able to say to them, I know what you're feeling because that's how I felt. But what I found was this. He was able to put himself in their shoes and to say, I, like you, was a persecutor of this movement. But now that I see that Jesus is the promised Messiah, he is the one, undeniably. And his testimony was very powerful because the audible voice of Jesus spoke to him, caused temporary blindness for three days. And after he obeyed and was baptized into Christ, God was able to do incredible things through Paul. It was exciting to have a learned and, per, and persuasive person come to town when there was no television, no internet, no social media in their day. They wouldn't have even had daily newspapers like, like you and I enjoy today. They had no idea what was going on in the rest of the world. If you followed some of the current events and you were a little educated, as was I, about Juneteenth, as they call it, uh, the whole idea behind that was it took a long time for, uh, for our national news to spread from like Washington, D.C. to Texas. Because we didn't have social media. We didn't have the nightly news. And so there was no way for people to know until it finally kind of came their way. And that's in our more recent history. And back at the time Acts 17 was written, it took even longer for news to get around the world. And so an out-of-town guest, a learned person, schooled by Gamaliel himself, comes to town. Here's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's able to say, you know, it's almost like being schooled, being a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, he's a smart man. He is a former, you know, leading official. And he comes to town, and he is able to enlighten them. 
Salonika is still an important seaport to this day, and it handled a lot of east and west trade, passing from the east through Macedonia, and Christianity was about to flow just as freely uh, through this area because of Paul. It took so long for information to travel, and it had come to town. Uh, by the time they would hear news, it was more history than news. It could have been called the olds instead of the news. Uh, because, because it took a while. And here's a traveling man like Paul that would be quickly granted the floor to address the people with what was up in the world and in religious teachings. Outsiders were interesting to listen to and with whom you could have good, healthy debates. The word there for reasoned, delightsato, uh, is the term that means, that suggests that they were familiar with the scriptures and therefore they could have a good conversation about the scriptures. They were able to reason. This is the opposite of a lecture, in other words. Uh, they're not necessarily colleagues, but they're able to reason with these people because they already have a good handle on the word of God. It's like when you have a Bible study with two or three of your closest friends who are already devout Christians. You go into that hoping to learn something, to grow and to be stretched, but you also know that they're hoping for the same thing as well. You're going to reason with them on what you already know and arrive uh, at some point of learning. <laughs> the next town visited uh, we're going to stop this series after today and start something new. But the next town visited is Berea. And the Bereans were known and commended for studying for themselves to see if what Paul taught was actually sound and true. And he reasoned with these folks here in Acts 17, and the gospel took hold in a powerful way. First um, Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have, yet do so with gentleness and respect. Paul was able to handle that kind of, an, uh, of a charge because he, he had the gentleness and the respect, but he was prepared. Paul and Silas and the others spent three Sabbath days reasoning with the people. Three Sabbath days. Now, you know, when I, you know, I first think about this story before I started studying, and I kind of picture them you know, driving by, they get off at the exit, so to speak, they spend a few minutes at the local coffee shop, and they kind of move on. Oh, no, 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 this is not a hit-and-run uh, form of evangelism that's taking place here. For three Sabbaths, they were there in the synagogue, as was his custom. He goes into the synagogue, and he spends three Sabbaths reasoning with them. And it has a powerful impact. They have unhindered dialogue in the temple that would then be followed by undefinite preaching in the homes of people such as Jason in our text. And so here's kind of how I, I kind of picture that being. So when you come to town and you have this dialogue for three Sabbaths in the temple area, what you're doing is you're perking people's interest. And it's almost like it would be like if you've ever been to a, a convention somewhere and you listen to a few of the keynote speakers, you kind of see some of the highlights and the headliners, and you see, kind of see what's going on. If you want to go more in-depth, you kind of look through it and you pick whose workshops you want to go to, right? 
And so, so you say, you know, you, you meet with your friends that you went to the conference with, a convention with, and you say, which one are you going to go to? I'm going to go to this one because this guy's really, did you see, or did you see where she has been to this country and she's an expert in such and such? I really want to see what she has to say. And so these three Sabbath days, as Paul's reasoning with them and explaining the things about Jesus, he is gaining a future audience for them so that when they go to the house of Jason, they're going to get that powerful, persuasive preaching and teaching, the, the meat of the, the lesson, because, because he has piqued their interest. Why? Because he's showing an interest in them, and he has been patiently explaining the simple truth about Jesus. They were in town for no less than three weeks, asking and taking questions from the people, and the gospel approach was very relational. It may seem cliche, but they say people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And Paul cared enough to stick around and interact with the people, not just to breeze in and breeze out of town. I'm going to guess that there was a lot going on between those three Sabbaths. There were meals perhaps eaten together. There were visits in people's homes like Jason's. There were casual conversations spent, maybe working alongside a host, helping them with their daily chores. If you were a guest in someone's home and they needed to chop firewood, you probably went out and stacked it while they were chopping it. And you talked to them, you kind of walked along, talked along, and so forth, and invested in them. And that brings me to a very important question for each of us to ponder today. Are you investing in others for whom you'd love the opportunity to share the simple truth about Jesus? Are you going on fishing trips with them? Are, are you meeting them for coffee? Are you caring enough to go to their, uh, their, their graduation open houses and to, to send a, a get well card when you hear a neighbor is sick or a coworker? Uh, in non-pandemic times, are you, are you talking about 4-H and about Little League interest with other people that can then lead you to a relationship where you have the, the ability to share deeper, simple truths about Jesus? The simple truth about Jesus, secondly, I see in this passage, is that it is passionately embraced. It was patiently explained, and now it's passionately embraced. Acts 17, verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. That's an interesting list of persuaded folks, isn't it? Some of the Jews, a great many devout Greeks, a great many of them. I don't know if this is a preacher count or what, but it's a great many. I don't know what a great many of devout Greeks look like, but I'm going to guess it's, it's a lot. It's not just a few people said, hmm, this is interesting. It sounds, like, it sounds like a lot of them were persuaded. And more than a few leading women, or not just a few of the leading women, it says. In other words, a lot of the leading women. Leading women were usually the wives of political leaders in this culture and in this Time. And they usually had projects that they worked on. They led things like first ladies of our country or our state will often do. And they, their influence was used to create change. 
It's kind of like if you're a, a first spouse of a, an elected political official, you kind of have to have something that you're passionate about, a platform that you work. And a lot of times they have their own prof, uh, professional assistants that work for them, they have their own offices and so forth. And these leading women were very influential, and their response was fantastic. A great many, not just a few, a lot of them. I mean, I'm thinking like most of them, a huge number of them, they are sold out to this message that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is their Lord and Savior, and these women were very influential. Not only was there the proof that Jesus was the Messiah, but there was the reminder about the truth regarding his death and his resurrection from the dead. It wasn't just predicted, it was necessary that the Messiah do so. The cross of Jesus does not in any way spell defeat or serve to disprove his his Messiahship. Rather, it, it does just the opposite. And Paul uses this simple truth about Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah. And the hearers knew the prophecies. They were in tune with the promise of a coming king. And they just hadn't accepted that he was Jesus yet. you got to remember, Jesus was one of them. Jesus was a Jewish man. Jesus was the fulfillment of the same prophecies that they had grown up reading and holding to and practicing and, and, and proclaiming all of their lives. Someone has pointed out that the gospel is so simple that you can say it in single-syllable words. God made us and loved us. But we sinned and fell short of him. But he gave his son that we may be saved. Jesus died and he rose from the dead. That's the simple truth. The simple truth is there is a God and I'm not him and he is perfect. And the place where he lives is a perfect place reserved for perfect people, but he's not willing that any of us should perish or spend eternity without him. But that all of us, all of us, all of us would come to repentance. That's what God wants. That's what he wills. And that's why he sent his only son to the earth. He took the first step. Not once we were good enough. Not once he felt sorry enough for us. While we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5.8 says that he sent his son while we were still sinners. That is an amazing fact. An amazing truth. I'm not perfect, but he is. And because he was perfect, and because he died in my place on the cross and shed his blood, and because he didn't just stay and rot in that grave, as the scriptures predicted he would not, because he rose from the dead and he was around for 50 days proving to everybody that he was who he said he was, that he was in fact the one who had physically died, not just swooned on the cross, he was dead, and he was buried for three days, and now he was alive, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw him, and that could not be explained away. And that evidence, that evidence is where it is. I mean, everything hinges on that. The fact that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, he's everything he said he was. He is the Son of God, and he can take 100% of your sins, all of them. Not in part, but the whole, as the, the hymn says. Though they be as scarlet, he washes you white as snow. <laughs> and so, these hearers of Paul and Silas and the other missionaries... We're given hope. 
because they were falling short and they knew it. They'd been listening to these Jewish leaders and they'd been trying to be good enough and they'd been trying to follow all the rules and, and avoiding the don'ts and, and doing the do's and they kept falling short and all they were really doing was feeling convicted and defeated. But now Jesus was offering hope through the, through the teachings of, of Paul and it was powerful and they passionately embraced it. Most people just need a reminder of the simple truth about Jesus. Romans 1, 16 through 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. One final thing about simple truth. Simple truth is patiently explained and passionately embraced. It's also courageously exalted. There's some courage in this passage. And sometimes we need to cowboy up, so to speak. And we've gotten so passive and we've made Christianity such a, a almost an effeminate kind of thing. You know, it's just kind of wishy-washy and it feel good if it works for you. We've compartmentalized our faith. We check in and we check out of church on Sunday. But, I mean, are we, are we not ashamed of the gospel or are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we Christians 24-7 on Wednesday night at 6 and on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. and on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m.? Are we the same that we are in here? Do we believe what we say we believe? And do people know where we stand? Are we courageously exalting the simple truth about Jesus? Not in an ugly, in-your-face, you're wrong and I'm right kind of a way, but he is who he said he is. He really did die. He really was buried. He really rose again, and he's in heaven preparing a place for you if you are prepared yourself. Have you made him your Lord and Savior. And if we're excited about that and we really believe it, if we believe in a literal heaven and we believe in a literal hell, we'll have no problem sharing with people passionately and courageously exalting him. Let's listen about Jason, beginning with verse 5. It says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd, Paul, Silas, and the others. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason, Jason, he has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security, I guess kind of like a bail or a bribe, from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Those jealous over the response to Paul's message found some men of the rabble. That's quite a word, rabble. Let's all say that together, rabble. It's kind of a new word for me, to be quite honest. In fact, I realized I've been saying something wrong all these years. I talk about rebel rousers, as in rebellious people. Rebel, rebel. It's rabble, R-A-B-B-L-E. You can find them anywhere in the rabble. You can find anybody to support your cause, and you can get them fired up and wound up about just about anything. And if you can, if you can build up enough hype, you can cause all kinds of havoc, and you can turn the world upside down. And not to go down too far down that road, but I think we've seen a lot of that. 
You have to work so hard today to read between the hype and, and to find the facts and to find out how much of it's sincere and how much of it has some sort of a push behind it to lead our thinking in certain directions. The name Jason means healing. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word for uh, the name Joshua. And the name Joshua means the Lord is salvation. Our world needs healing. Our world is looking for salvation. Our world is looking for a Jason. Can you be a Jason? I mean, can you be like him? Can you say, you know, I, I want to be a place where the gospel lives, where the gospel is, where I'm hospitable to the gospel. And that's exactly what he was. We need to be Jasons. We need to be used by God as instruments of healing for this broken world around us. Yes, there will be those who don't understand our message and are jealous of the attention that the church gets. But beyond a few rabble-rousers are a great many people who are needing hope beyond them. Are these people needing hope? Perhaps the jealousy or the anxiety over the missionaries' message was that they now had the so-called leading ladies on board with the messages about Jesus. Had the ladies, these leading women, had they gone the other direction and said, oh, yes, this isn't good. I mean, I was following it. I was hearing snippets about it when it was in other parts of the world, but I didn't know it was going to come this close to home. And now it's come here. It's come to our city. And these people are right. They are turning our world upside down. And if it's not too long, we are going to upset Caesar over this rumor of a new king. But they didn't. These leading women went to the way of the Lord and the gospel and the simple truth about who Jesus is. And God used them in a powerful way. He used them to help spread the gospel throughout the world. How disappointing for the jealous and antagonistic Jews who did not accept the simple truth about Jesus And in order for these rabble-rousers to get any kind of audience to counteract the truth about Jesus, they were going to have to cause a huge disturbance in the city that would force the political leaders to get involved. It was due, in part, to the riots that in AD 49, uh, the emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. And they're like, here we go again. We know they don't like riots, and we've got this problem, and now we're going to get expelled. We're going to get kicked out. That was what they were trying to do to get the authorities. And it's the same kind of thing that they did with, with when Jesus came to town. There was a lot more political stuff going on with that as to who he was. They really didn't care about the religious side of things and about the fulfilled prophecies and so forth. They were more worried about, is he going to be an earthly king? And that was the only way... Uh, that the Pharisees could trap Jesus. And now these religious leaders are trying to trap Paul and Silas and the others by saying they're going to cause problems for us with the government if we're not careful. And once they had this audience over the, the, this rabble-rousing that was going on, their alarming announcement was that Paul and his group had been turning the world upside down and now they were coming here and up with their upturning message to their city, Thessalonica. They didn't care about Jason they drag him from his home. And where are those guys? We want to bring him out. Where's that one they call Paul and his buddy Silas? Where's that young guy, Timothy? Bring him out here. We want to see him. They're already they're gone, man. They split. They're, they're gone. I mean, you come with us. It's Jason's fault that this happened. How good for Jason. Oh, that it would be our fault that the simple truth about Jesus would be proclaimed. 
There's a great deal of evidence in Scripture that Paul could use in his argument, and probably did. For example, Psalm 22, written over 1,000 years earlier by David, describes the crucifixion of the Messiah. Paul could have quoted Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 12 to demonstrate that the suffering, death, and resurrection of the coming Messiah was predicted by the prophets and fulfilled 100% by Jesus. The Old Testament abounds with evidence of the Messiah's character and life and clearly matches it in Jesus, and it cannot be explained away. I want to close with a, a familiar passage of Scripture that most of us use. In fact, my son and I were talking about it this week. We saw it on a billboard. And uh, it's a great verse, but it's oftentimes, I think, kind of taken out of context. Uh, used for just our everyday earthly anxiety or our tiredness that we have, maybe even physical tiredness that we experience. But it was about so much more than that. If you were in this city of Thessalonica, and you were trying to be a God-fearing person, and you were trying so hard to, to follow all of the rules. I mean, you, you wouldn't eat an egg uh, on a Wednesday if the chicken laid it on, on the Sabbath because the chicken worked to lay the egg, you know, kind of thing. And you, you know, I mean, the people were that, they were that strict. Uh, you, you wouldn't just tithe on your gross income, but you'd dump out all your seasonings, nine Nine grains for me, one for the Lord. Nine grains for me, one. I mean, they were trying so hard. And you know what? That kind of a lifestyle is exhausting. Trying to be good enough to earn your way to heaven is exhausting. It is. Nothing can tire you out more than when the devil has tempted you to sin and you've given into it and now he's turned from tempter to tormentor and he's showing you your shortcomings. That's exhausting. You lose sleep at night because you feel like you're not good enough, not worthy enough. <laughs> Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's talking about there is the simple truth of the gospel. What he's talking about there is, is turn from the legalism to grace. Turn to him because he, he has a, a burden that is light and a yoke that is easy, and he will give you rest from trying to be good enough. doesn't mean we don't try to obey God and we don't try our, our very best to grow in our faith and to become more godly in, in our life and to strive for righteousness. We had better do that or else our faith isn't genuine. <laughs> But we also don't live in exhaustion because we're trying to earn our salvation. We live in grace. That's what our upside-down world needs to hear. They need to see a bunch of joy-filled, content Christians filled with faith, not making poor decisions, not taking common-sense precautions when there's a concern but also not living as fearful cowards that are just scared to death all the time, but are full of hope and grace and truth. Pray with me, please. Father God, I thank you for your great love. I thank you for this day that we've had to be here to worship you. And Lord, to just dive into your word and to see the simple truth about Jesus. God, thank you for sending him to the earth. Thank you that he was willing to go to the cross even though he didn't want to. Thank you, God, that he proved his divinity when he rose from the grave. Thank you, God, that for those of us who are born again into him, who have been baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, who have been filled with your Holy Spirit, God, we have nothing to fear. 
For God, our salvation is in you, not our own deeds. And God, we praise you for that. Lord, we love you. And as we have this time of, of worship and singing, God, I pray that you would have your, your way, Lord. That decisions, personal decisions, right, maybe where people set or made, but decisions also that might be made publicly. Father, to, together today as we make commitments to passionately uh, and courageously and to patiently uh, wait on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.